0: We've put together a brand new sample of RAR Premium. So if you've been on the fence about joining us inside RAR Premium, you can get a free sample now to see if it's a good fit for your family. To get that free sample, go to readaloudrevival.com slash sample or just text the word Sample, like it's all squished together in one word, <laughs> Sample to the number 33777. Okay, here's the show. Hey, a quick note here at the top. The Read Aloud Revival podcast is about to go on a short break. What you've got today is episode 177. Then we're going to take a couple of months break here on the show. You can get caught up on all of our backlist episodes There are, in fact, 177 to listen to. (laughs) And then we'll be back later this summer with an excellent new podcast series for you. We're already working on it. It's super fabulous. Now, while we won't be here on the podcast, we certainly aren't going away. And we send all of our best resources, free guides, book lists, all the good stuff to our email subscribers. So if you haven't yet, be sure to hop on our email list. I send an email every Wednesday morning. You don't want to miss it. You can get those emails by heading to readaloudrevival.com slash subscribe. Go ahead, do it now. readaloudrevival.com slash subscribe. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah McKenzie, homeschooling mama of six and author of The Read Aloud Family and Teaching from Rest. As parents, we're overwhelmed with a lot to do. It feels like every child needs something different. The good news is, you are the best person to help your kids learn and grow, and home is the best place to fall in love with books. This podcast has been downloaded seven million times in over 160 countries. So if you want to nurture warm relationships while also raising kids who love to read, you're in good company. We'll help your kids fall in love with books and we'll help you fall in love with homeschooling. Let's get started. Science is everywhere. It's in everything we do, everything we see, and yes, everything we read. Books, in fact, offer an especially delightful opportunity to talk about science, both through their illustrations and their text. We just need to know a few things to look for and a few questions to ask. So today we're going to find out what to look for and some questions to ask. I've invited a couple of experts onto the show. One is a professor of education who specializes in teaching literacy. The other is a microbiologist who's a professor of biology. You're going to be floored when you find out how we can use the picture books we already have on our shelves to help our kids learn to think like a scientist. This is so fun. Now, before I launch into this conversation, I want you to know two things. We pretty much dive right into the meat, and you're going to hear several references to what my guests call cross-cutting concepts. There are seven of these cross-cutting scientific concepts and they make up the basis of scientific thinking. They are pattern, cause and effect, structure and function, scale, proportion, and quantity, systems and system models, energy and matter, and stability and change. See, Science isn't about learning content. It's not about memorizing facts or learning a certain body of information and committing that to memory. In fact, my guests today say that scientists aren't smarter than everybody else. What they do instead is create a habit of mind where they ask questions based around these seven cross-cutting scientific concepts, the ones I just mentioned. And by doing so, they think scientifically. Picture books, it turns out, are an excellent way to nurture this kind of scientific thinking in our own students, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's listen in. Dr. Valerie bon Jensen, department chair and professor of education at St. Michael's College in Vermont, is an expert in children's literature and literacy. Dr. Mark Lebkowitz is chair and professor of biology at St. Michael's and he's a molecular biologist. They actually started working at St. Michael's on the same day 20 years ago. But back then, they never imagined they would be pairing up to write a book. They're the co-authors of Sharing Books, Talking Science, Exploring Scientific Concepts with Children's Literature. And they're on a mission to convince everyone that scientific concepts appear everywhere in books and in our daily lives. We just need to know what to look for. So today they're joining us to talk about using books to learn to think like a scientist. Valerie and Mark, welcome to the podcast.
1: Can I add one thing to the introduction, Sarah, if I may? What you would never know about Valerie from reading reading our website is that Valerie is, some would say blessed, some would say cursed, with synesthesia, which means that she sees letters and numbers as colors. So imagine someone who's dedicated their professional existence to literature. And when she opens up a book, what she sees is an incredible palette of colors. Like that's not an experience I have. And what you also might not know is that Valerie and I I've written two books together, and we, when we write, we're in the same room, on the same Google Doc, on a table facing each other, and I'm an atrocious speller. So Valerie will look up, look up at me and say, Mark, there's a purple word where a yellow word should be.
2: That's how we wrote the book.
1: You know, I, I am beginning to figure out the, you know, <laughs> that a, Z or a K is a different color than a, than a C and so on. The other thing is that I should point out Valerie was the recent recipient of our college's teaching award. So she is, as you might predict, really quite good at her job, and an alto singer.
2: And I'd like to add a little bit. You've captured the the academic side of my colleague, Mark. He also loves to grow food. He has an enormous garden, a greenhouse he built himself. And what does he do with all this food? He and his wife, Ginger, invite 40 of their closest friends to dinner on the 15th of every month. If you don't know what you're doing on the 15th, you go to their house for dinner. And that is what I'm looking forward to after the pandemic is over.
0: I might make my way to Vermont on the 15th of the month, I'm thinking.
1: <laughs> we had 25 years of dinner parties until the pandemic, 400 in a row.
2: I'll say to you that Mark earned that
0: teaching award long before I did. So I'm following in his footsteps. Well, it is such a pleasure to chat with you. And we have been having fun. Our whole team has been reading your book. And I just can't wait to talk with you about the ideas in here. So maybe we can start just by... Defining what you mean, or talking about what you mean when you say, "learning to think like a scientist." So, what does that mean exactly?
1: Let's tell them the secret first, Mark. Well, the secret is: so scientists aren't smarter than everybody else. Scientists have just created a code, a way to classify sort of human thinking and behavior. And so, one of, one of the ideas of the cross-cutting concepts is they're not; they don't fall in, under the domain of science. They actually fall on the domain of humanity. And if you look at those seven ideas, the seven cross-cutting concepts that we call the you know, scientific thinking, they really describe just how people in general think. And so, so that was a real aha for us because so what that means is that everybody from your two-year-old upwards is already thinking, walking and talking like a scientist. And it's just about helping them realize that. And as Valerie is gonna, I'm sure you're gonna point out at some point today, that when you're writing, you're following the same schema and the same structure that scientists follow just with a different set of vocabulary.
2: This all came about when I was teaching a graduate class and there were practicing teachers who came to my class to learn about nonfiction. A lot of them knew so much about fiction and felt very comfortable with it. But as you know, Sarah, there's been a resurgence or or an explosion more likely in nonfiction over the last 15 or 20 years. You know, I've even listened to your interview with Barb Rosenstock and just incredible Incredible work. And so I wanted them to see that we read books and interpret them based on our own experiences and our own education. So I invited Mark to come to class. I read aloud this beautiful picture book called Winter Barn. It's very New England. The cover is just white space, which is snow and a red barn and a stone wall. Very quiet sort of mood. And it describes a farmer bringing the animals in for the winter and the hush that falls over everything. And I read it. It's beautiful. I asked all the teachers what they thought and what they remembered. What what was their response? And they all talked about the beautiful language and how well it paired with the illustrations and how there were, you know, simple vocabulary, but really deep embedded words and concepts about Hessian soldiers that had built the foundation. And then I said, Mark, what did you hear?
1: And I said, it's a horror story. No one else in the room saw it that way. But but what I heard and what I saw in the illustrations was I put all the animals in the barn into two categories. So some were predators and some were prey. And I knew that over the time scale of the winter, the predators, mainly the cat, was going to eat the mice right? And so I had just a very different take on the story than everyone else. And I didn't pick up on the soldiers or the tenors and mortison. I just picked up on the their predators and their prey animals and they're interacting in a small space. So some might say that when Valerie was sharing that book with her class and I was listening, that what I was doing is I was listening like a scientist. And so that led to this conversation between the two of us. was like, so how did you come to such a different interpretation of that story than everyone else in the room and being the only scientist in the room. And so that of course led to, so how would a scientist look at this? And so I looked at the, Bower showed me that the cover of the book. And so it's a picture a bucolic barn covered in snow, right? And so right there, that's a pattern. And that pattern tells me that it's wintertime. So that like observation number one. And I know that that pattern is going to cause the farmer to move the animals inside of that structure. So cause and effect, right? I know that the function of that structure is to protect the animals structure function. I know that I can view that structure then as a system, right? A closed system with boundaries and energy and matter coming into it. Think food and water and waste going in and out as the farmer does daily chores. Or I can think of it as a model system for the entire ecosystem of New England. And then, I also know that depending upon the scale at which I examine that system, so if I, look at the, if I look at the system over the entire winter, so I'm looking at the barn, there's a rhythm, a daily rhythm, right? The farmer brings food, it takes out water, it takes out waste, and so on, and so it's a predictable pattern, so it's a stable system, but if I change the scale and I zoom in on that moment at which the cat eats the mouse, at that point, it's changing, so that's what it means to think like a scientist or to even look at the cover of winter barn and to interpret the reality there.
0: Which makes it sound like there's so many of these layers that we have, like when we're revisiting a book, there's always more layers for us to dive into, more things for us to uncover as we're reading. I think you even mentioned in your in your book, I don't remember how you both worded it, but the impression I got was not that we need to squeeze everything out of a book, like we're squeezing a juice out of an orange or something, right? But that this deepens our understanding of the book, of ourselves and of the world, because we are looking at the stories from, well, I think you said this just at the top here today, Valerie, which is looking at it from your experience and from your education.
2: The first time someone reads a book, you just want to get out of the way. You want the author and the illustrator to connect with the reader in the way that is just going to happen and emerge from for every reader. But the more that you think about this, the more you can return to a book and have conversations about these elements that really pair beautifully the scientific with the literary thing. So for example, should we give you some examples of how, yeah. how, okay. So, you know, Mark keeps talking about pattern and he's taught me it's really the superhero of science pattern is, but if you think about a book like Brown Bear, Brown Bear, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know that book. It's a pattern, right? You know, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, what do you see? I see. So within this, two pages, the kids are chanting along with it and predicting. And that's what makes the book. But what makes it special at the end is the pattern is broken. And depending on which version you have, it's a mother looking at the children or at children instead of an animal looking at another animal. So that breaking the pattern is what makes it delightful and satisfactory. And Mark, you have a great example from The Hunger Games.
1: Yeah, so, so if you think about how the, the story is resolved in the first book, there's supposed to be one ultimate winner, right? So that's the pattern. That, that's the cause and effect, the rule. And so they throw the system into change by disrupting that pattern. So there's going to be two winners this year. And if you think about it, books usually start off with a stable pattern that is immediately thrown into discord. And the book is about resolving that, bring it back into either new pattern or to the old, or you start off with this disruptive system, but it's always disruption, stability, disruption. And then how dissatisfying is it when we don't get it resolved, right?
0: Well, so as you're talking about this, so one of the things that our community director did, and she was the first one to read your book and said, Sarah, you have got to have them on the podcast, is she took a couple of books she took The Snowy Day by Ezra Jack Keats and she took Owl Moon by Jane Yolen. And she looked for all of these different cross-cutting scientific concepts in the book. And so she sent them to me and said, if you have time, it would be really fun for me to check and see if I was on the right track. So I told her I'd run run her um, ideas by you if you're up for it. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, we
0: loved those as examples too. She she chose well. Okay, let's do Owl Moon. And we actually had Jane Yolen on to talk about the making of Al Yun- Moon, which of course happened a long time ago. It's her, the little girl who's on the cover of Al Moon is now a grown woman with adult children of her own. So <laughs> because the story was based on her husband taking her kids out, owling. So, okay, this is what Courtney had. She said for cause and effect, which I think paired with a lit, so that's the the scientific cross-cutting concept that is paired with plot as a literary device, right? Am I understanding right. that Right. Yes. Okay. So she wrote down trains and dogs, and then she wrote father and owl calling to each other.
2: Yeah. So the train and the dog, the train, so it's setting the, it's setting the stage and in the distance, they hear a train whistle and they hear a dog howling back at the train. So the dog howling was the effect caused by it hearing the train. So she nailed that one. Good job, Court. And
1: in, <laughs> and in the middle of that book, there's a really nice double page spread of, um, it's, a, it's an aerial view of the owl landing. And so you can see a branch and then below that is the father and daughter. And so, and it just, it whispers cause and effect because an effect is something you can see or measure. So you can see the owl coming in and which you can't hear, but you can imply it is they were just going, hoo, 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 right? So that's the cause. Yes.
0: Okay. So then for pattern, which um, patterns, again, the scientific concept that goes along with genre, is that, that's what it, I have is one way that it does. I mean, okay. to take a detour
2: from owl moon for a minute. Yeah. You know, how do we know a folktale when we see one? Oh, it has certain uh, elements. Time. It, it yeah. has elements in it, right? It, it might have right. talking animals. It might, you know, be very simple, not much character development. So we know it's a folktale. We know a fable, the a pattern of a fable it has a lesson, right? Yeah, moral at a the moral. end. Like in, um, yeah. Science mm-hmm. fiction always asks, what if? So genre is a pattern. Oh, interesting. Okay, right? I, I see. But I think- the
1: structure, the structure of the books themselves, whether they're chapters or in a lot of picture books, they're in units of eight pages, which is a, a pattern really of a printing more than anything else.
2: But I think in Owl Moon, let's think about that, the pattern. I actually know this family and I know that when each child was old enough, the child went out with with their dad, David, to go owling. and the conditions had to be right. They had to follow, they wouldn't go out in pouring rain, probably, right? So the pattern of that event, we can see that. there might be certain times of the year that you would go owling. That's a pattern, okay.
1: Cause and effect relationships can be patterns. in this case, it is a pattern, right? So the owl responds to that sound. oh, it's not right. going it's not going respond to it it's going to respond to, hoo, 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 but it's not going to respond to. Ah, oh, you know. <laughs>
0: yes. Okay. Yeah. She has noted footprints and shadows bumping along. She've noted what you just said, Valerie, about the brothers have already gone owling and the little sister had to wait as a note under systems, uh, the systems that are in place.
1: Family system.
2: Yeah, and the fam the family is a system, right?
1: And every system has boundaries. In this case, it is the familial boundary, and then the interacting components are the parents and the the offspring.
0: Interesting. Okay. stability and change? Yes, she did. She wrote moonlight, shadows and trees, clearing.
1: So here's the thing about stability and change that is really, really fascinating is that it's really all about scale, right? So, so what does an owl do all night long? It lands, it takes off, it lands, it takes off, it lands, it takes off. So over the scale of like 12 hours at nighttime, that's a normal behavioral pattern, right? There's nothing that's very stable. But if you change the time scale and you ask this very second, what is the owl doing? If it's landing, well, it's, it's changing, right? And so I always like to say, if you were a Martian scientist and you only came to earth once every century to measure humans and see what they're doing, you would conclude that they're dying. Like that's what they do, right? But if you right. change your time right. scale and you came in and you said, oh, I'm going to measure every year or every decade or every hour, you'd get a very different result. Yes. So all of us are always stable and changing depending upon the scale at which you're looking.
0: I'm just like mind blown over here. <laughs> that's amazing. Okay. For energy, she has if you go owling, you have to be quiet and make your own heat.
2: Aha, good for her. Yep. Heat is definitely one type of energy. And that's that's totally right. We could also think about, so I'm not a scientist. I never trained as a scientist. And I needed a lot of help when we got going. And I said, Mark, when, when I buy a new device, I just go right to the quick start. I don't want to read all the directions. So I need a quick start to help me find the concepts. And one that was really hard for me was energy and matter. So Mark, what's a quick start question to help us think about energy here? Let's say the owl. The owl is flying all night.
1: Okay. So, and then, so for biological systems, the energy is always going to be, you know, whatever they ate. So chemical energy. And then the way it manifests is sound, heat, motion. So if the owl is flying, that's energy like in action right there. And then when the owl is landing, you know, there's energy being dissipated, the sound coming out of the father and the daughter, that's energy, right? That's their breakfast, leaving their body in another form, or probably their, probably their ice cream sundae they had before they headed out or whatever. Hot, cho- hot chocolate, hot chocolate,
0: A lot of voices might tell you that you need to learn how to get better at homeschooling, but I know something about you. You don't actually need to homeschool better. You need to homeschool happier, to have more fun, to smile more, laugh more. You want a twinkle in your eye <laughs> and you want your kids to know deep in their bones that you love homeschooling them. That twinkle is worth pursuing, too, because the key to a successful homeschool is a peaceful, happy mother. And that's what we're committed to helping you become at RAR Premium. RAR Premium is a unique program that offers mentoring for you, the homeschool mom, and we offer Open and Go Family Book Club. This is a family book club you can use with all ages from 4 to 17, and it will explore language arts, reading, and we often dip into writing, science, history, all across the curriculum as we uncover so many good and meaningful ideas. The best news is we do all the prep work for you. If you'd like to get a free sample of RAR Premium so you can see if it's a good fit for your family, head to readaloudrevival.com slash sample, or you can just text RAR sample, one word, to the number 33777, and we'll send it your way. Now back to the show.
2: I also think that books offer a chance to see time as a scale also. So you mentioned the snowy day earlier. Peter goes out by himself for maybe an hour, maybe half an hour. And the whole book takes place in that time frame. Then you take something like Percy Jackson or Harry Potter, where a whole year goes by with every book. And so kids get a sense of scale. You know, did it happen in a moment? Is it last stop on Market Street, which is just one bus ride long? versus decades or or years.
1: And losing it, like one of my favorite examples is, is losing it too. That's a pattern that you anticipate. But on the day that that happens, when you zoom in and change the scale, that's, that's, that's not just part of a pattern. That's a momentous event because you change scale.
0: The scale is interpreted, the importance of each event, I guess, is interpreted based on the scale that we're talking about. Because whether it's this week in the life of this, you know, we have a um, a picture book biography we've been reading lately called just brand new. It's called Mornings with Monet. And it's just the whole story just takes place before breakfast from the time he wakes up in the last page is when he's eating breakfast. And then you can read another picture book biography about another illustrator or artist. that takes place from the time they're like, uh, it began with a page, which is a picture book biography about Gio Fujikawa and takes place from the time she was little until her death, you know? And so the moments in the story reflect, Whether they're climactic or not just really depends on the scale of time that you're talking about then, right?
1: The author zooms in and zooms out. And when they zoom in, it's like, pay attention. And now I'm going to fast forward through three months and then pay attention again to this hour or whatever.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of picture books, artists do this anyway, where they will have panels or boxes and then there will be a double page spread that sort of says to you, slow down and look at this, something big is happening. So if you go back to that picture that Mark was describing where the owl is about to land because the dad has called, called it in and you see these talons come out. And so if you think about the physical properties of the talons and their shape, they're going to help it grip the limb that it's landing on.
1: You know, they're not like dental floss, right? Because they have to, and you know that the, their shape is going to be able to make a circle. Otherwise they wouldn't be able to grab prey or even a limb.
0: Yeah, this is fun because with my younger students, I was just, we were just doing a whole unit on birds and we were talking about how you can look at a bird's beak and you can tell just by the beak, the function of the beak is what they eat, right? So you can tell by looking at a bird's beak, pretty much what they eat. You can deduce just looking at the shape of the beak or the talons. Same thing is like, what do they hop around on the ground or do they need to cling to a branch or swoop down and grab a fish from the river?
2: This kind of leads me into the other idea that we have. And that is that some books are just right in your face. They shout a scientific concept. And so, for example, Sneed B. Collard's book, Beaks, is a book that shouts about structure and function. What do you do with a tail like this? I mean, it shouts structure and function. There's a great book called Bridges Are to Cross by um, Sturgis. So that's structure and function in the engineered world where you're building something to solve a problem. Oh, and Gail Gibbons too. She, we call her Gail Systems Gibbons because all of her books are about systems, the components, how they interact. But one of the things our editor said to us is, don't tell me which books I have to read. I want to be able to pull any book off the shelf and see the concepts in there. Help me do this. Once you know them, it's kind of like your training wheels. Use shout books. And then once you start to see the concepts, then you take off the training wheels and you start to see them everywhere. So for example, the snowy day.
1: I love the cover because Peter's looking over his right shoulder and he's looking at his footprint in the snow, right? And so that's an effect. And you can just tell that he's pondering the cause and he's just totally mystified by the the fact that he made an impression in the snow. So it's just whispering to you cause and effect.
0: I know, it's not shout because it's not about that. It's not about cause and effect. You're just watching it happen.
2: Find these concepts whispering everywhere. You know, structure and function in the three little pigs, right? Only one house, the house, which was the function served to keep them safe from the wolf because the structure was made of brick, right?
0: I have never thought about books this way. And it's so much fun. It's going to be so fun to like uncover all this. It's a new way of thinking. And then it just becomes the way that you think.
1: To me, it's part of that, really that lifelong journey of trying to understand humanity. Our brains put pattern on everything. Like that's just what defines humanity. Like we are, that's what makes us, what we can do better than every other animal out there is recognize patterns. I mean, what is language? Pattern recognition. What is behavior? Pattern recognition.
2: We started off with a little story in our book about a second and third grade teacher named Callie. And she was great. She invited us to observe in her class over the year. And she would try out our ideas. And she had talked a lot with her class about cause and effect and structure and function. And she was reading Charlotte's Web. And she was, you know, at the part where Charlotte decides she can save Wilbur by spinning words in the Web. And, you know, it's this little moment where no one else in the barn is awake and Charlotte is weaving the web and coaching herself through it with a little kind of song. And one of her students said, I bet she's using a different kind of thread for the words than she is for the rest of the web. And then Callie said to the student, what makes you think so? And he said, well, it has to be a different kind of thread because it's a different purpose. She shouldn't use the sticky ones because it would make flies stick in the word. And, you know, what we all realized when we heard that was that this child was applying his understanding of structure and function to help enrich this part of this book. It was just amazing. So he was taking that lens with him everywhere. And, you know, one thing that Mark, who teaches labs, you know, he would never say, don't do hands-on inquiry science with children. They need that, right? But Like they can't get all of science from a book, but they can launch these ideas into every part of their life. And books are a perfect place to do that because books are life. They're a little microcosm of life.
1: In our book, we wrote everything you need to know about structure and function you can learn from the paperclip. So, if you can imagine a paper clip in your mind, so you know what it looks like. So, so let's start with. Uh, so, Valerie, uh, what's a paper clip do? What's this function?
0: I think you should ask Sarah.
1: Okay, Sarah, what's the paper clip do?
0: It holds things together, papers together.
1: Now, watch this. Uh, uh, describe the shape for me. Um, what does this paper clip look
0: like? Rounded, oblong.
1: Okay, now watch this. What the audience can't see is I've just changed the shape of the paper clip and I've straightened it. So, Sarah, will this still hold paper?
0: No, it will not.
1: It will not. So I changed the shape and therefore I changed the function. Now this part you have to do in your mind, but now let's just say that I were to make the perfect paper clip out of a piece of string. Would it hold paper?
0: No, even though it's the right shape.
1: Yes, it would not. Yeah, correct. So shape matters, but the physical property matters also so it has to be the right shape. It has to be the right physical properties. And so just, you know, I teach molecular genetics and I just did that exact demo. With my students when I was talking about protein structure function, because it's just a guiding principle. Shape matters, physical property matters, whether you're talking about a paperclip or a molecule.
0: I wish I had taken science classes from you. I think I would have understood them a lot better than I did. <laughs> well, and that's exactly that's exactly the point that we
2: like to make is that a lot of us took science classes and content was the boss. Like we just had to memorize and memorize, and it's impossible to memorize everything. But if you have this schema, you just plug things in. You know, the other thing, getting back to structure and function, I think kids have a lot of fun thinking about the structure and function of the physical book. So if you take a book like Lois Ellert, where she has the cutouts, you know, the structure is there to enable the function, which is you can see pages that are behind it that are different colors. Or if you get to a gatefold page, that structure enables you to be incredibly impressed or see a whole spread of you know, a landscape that was just too big for a regular double page spread. So that's a lot of fun too, to think about. Why is this book Gail Gibbons wrote on skyscrapers tall and narrow or Hello Lighthouse? Why is it tall and narrow? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a friend who started a goat farm. She took over a farm that was monocropped and she said, do you know a plant biologist? And I said, actually, I do. So I arranged to take Mark out to meet my friend, Karen, and I was about to explain what they each wanted to. And like within two minutes, they were off and running talking because they could speak the same kind of concepts.
1: So I know nothing at the time. I knew nothing about goats. In fact, I didn't even know know that goats are browsers, not grazers. And browsers eat ends of branches and grazers eat grass. So I thought they were grazers enough. Okay. So I didn't even know that, but I knew the questions to ask. So what's your system? What's the pattern of your system? What's the pattern that you're trying to disrupt? So what, what's, what's stable and what's changing? Tell me about the cause and effect relationships. And then let's look at energy and matter. What are the levers that you can pour into that system to drive change and to get to the pattern that you want to get to? And then part of that, solving that problem will be structure and function. And that's true. If you go to any science conference, you don't have to know all the content because it's impossible to know it all. But when you meet someone, what's your system? You know, what are you measuring? What are you, you know, and it's always the same seven questions. And, and so it's empowering because you don't have to go and memorize all that content. It just falls in place because it follows a pattern itself.
0: Okay. So then we, our kids then learn to speak the language of science. And so, and this is really empowering, I think for a lot of our, our listeners our homeschoolers. And one of the things I hear from a lot of homeschooling families is, you know, I've got a kid who's really into science and I'm not really into science. and I don't know if I have what I need to equip them, but by empowering them to think like a scientist, we're preparing them then to do science at any level in the future.
1: Yes, that is exactly right. In fact, the the, the quick start questions that we use in our book, which, and we wrote for K through eight teachers, I use in my college classes because they never, the relevance of them never goes away.
0: Now it's time to hear from the kids. They'll tell us about the books they've been loving lately.
2: Hi, my name is Karina
1: Tung, and I'm seven years old and live in Los Angeles, California.
2: My favorite book right now is Journey to America, Escaping the Holocaust of Freedom by Sonia Levitin. The book is based on the author's own life, playing Germany as a child. I think it's a really good story because they never gave up. My favorite part is the
1: ending, but I don't want to spoil it for you. Hi, my name is Hans Tung, and I'm nine years old, and I'm from Los Angeles, California. My favorite books right now are the Christian Heroes Then and Now series. These are true stories of really brave men and women who went all over the world to share about God's love, and sometimes they were even killed for following and obeying Jesus. These stories make me braver and not take my faith for granted. I hope you can read them and be inspired too. Hi. My name is
0: Greta Patterson. I'm 11 and I live in Washington State. My favorite book is Keeper of the Lost Cities, book seven, Flashback. I love the complex storyline and the characters are very fun and easy to relate with.
2: Hi, my name is Caleb.
1: I am 10 years old and I live in Massachusetts. One of the books I've been enjoying lately is Mrs. Piggle Wiggle because the
0: parents call a lot of People, but they can't solve
1: the problem, so they call Mrs. Piggle Wiggle. Hi, my name is Liam, and I'm eight years old and live in Texas. My favorite book is Who Was Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart? I like it because I love classical composers and their music, and one of my favorites is Mozart.
2: Hi, my name's Will, I'm 12 years old and I live in Port Kembla, Australia. My favourite book series is The Hunger Games because they keep you on the edge of your seat and they tell a really good story.
1: Hi,
0: I'm Grace, I'm 10 years old and I live in Port Kembla, Australia. My favourite book is the Harry Potter series because there's something exciting in every chapter. What's your name? Archie. And how old are you, Archie? Six years old. Where do you live? Port Campbell, Australia. What's your book? Harry Potter. And why do you like the Harry Potter books? Because Ron and Hermione and Harry have great adventures. Bye. What's your name? Ada. And how old are you, Ada? Three years old. And where do you live? (laughs) Port Campbell, Australia. What book do you like? Pepper Pig. Peppa Pig Nursery Rhymes? Yeah. And why do you like that book?
2: Because Peppa Pig
0: sings "Mary had a little lamb. Mary had a little lamb. Thanks, Ada. Hi, my name is Elizabeth. I am eight years old and I live in Colorado. My favourite book is Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. It gives an interesting and realistic perspective of life during the Civil War. My name is Silas.
1: I'm nine years old. My home state is Oregon. The book I like best would be The Flying Dragon Room by Audrey Wood. I like it because I like the rooms that Patrick makes.
2: What's your name? How old are you?
0: Where are you from? What's your favorite book? The Fierce Yellow Pumpkin. Can you say by Margaret Wise-Brown? Very good, thank you. Hi, my name is Nathan. I'm from South Carolina. I'm eight years old. Um, my favorite book is Magic Treehouse. And why is because I
1: like all the adventures.
0: Hello, my name is Abigail Blakely. I'm from Taylor, South Carolina. I love the Serafina series
2: because I love the adventure and I love the heartbreak and everything else about the series.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much, kids. Wasn't that a fun episode? I really enjoyed my conversation with Valerie and Mark. We will have links in the show notes to their books. The one we talked about today was Sharing Books, Talking Science. They also have one called Books in Bloom. We'll put links to all that in the show notes as well as links to the books we mentioned today, the books that shout and a few that... Whisper. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're taking a short break just here on the podcast, not in our creation of really awesome resources, definitely not at RER Premium. We've got a great lineup ahead. In fact, in May, speaking of science, our picture book that we are reading as our family book club is called Nature's Friend, and it's a picture book biography about the artist. Gwen Frostic, who was inspired by nature a whole lot in her art, and it's a really beautiful picture book biography all about a Michigan artist. We've also invited Cindy West to come and lead us in a literary nature study workshop. So, this is really fun if you're into nature study or trying to get your family into nature study, trying to maybe start the habit of noticing and appreciating nature on a different level. Uh, we are pairing up nature study with books here at Read Aloud Revival. So, Cindy is coming. She's going to lead us in a family nature study workshop that goes right along with our family book club picks. So, I mean, books, nature, happy, all kinds of happy, right? <laughs> We're doing all of that in RAR Premium. As always, you can find out what's coming next in RAR Premium and give it a whirl. We have a thirty-day money-back guarantee, which means that you can join RAR Premium no risk. You can just see if it, it's a good fit for you, and if not, you can always request a refund within thirty days. But we're betting it's going to be a good fit. And we've got some really excellent lineups of family book clubs, wow, writers on writing workshops and homeschool trainings for you so that you can teach with less stress and more rest. And that's all at rarpremium.com. In the meantime, you know what to do. Go make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. So many of us feel overwhelmed in our homeschool. There's a lot to do and it feels like every child needs something a little different. The good news is you are the best person on the planet to help your kids learn and grow. And home is the best place to fall in love with books. I'm Sarah McKenzie, I'm a homeschooling mother of six the author of Teaching from Rest and the Read Aloud Family. And I'm the host here on the Read Aloud Revival podcast. This podcast has been downloaded over 8 million times. And you know, I think it's because so many of us want the same things. We want our kids to be readers, to love reading. We want our homes to be warm and happy havens of learning and connection. We know that raising our kids is the most important work of our lives. That's kind of overwhelming, right? You are not alone. In Read Aloud Revival Premium, we offer family book clubs, a vibrant community, and Circle with Sarah, coaching for you, the homeschooling mom, so you can teach from rest, homeschool with confidence, and raise kids who love to read. Our family book clubs are a game changer for your kids' relationship with books. We provide you with a family book club guide and an opportunity for your kids to meet the author or illustrator live on screen. So all you have to do is get the book, read it with your kids, and make those meaningful and lasting connections. They work for all ages, from your youngest kids to your teens. Every month, our community also gathers online for a circle with Sarah to get ideas and encouragement around creating the homeschooling life you crave. They're the most effective way I know to teach from rest and build a homeschool life you love. We want to help your kids fall in love with books and we want to help you fall in love with homeschooling. Join us today at RARpremium.com. Are you still here? Okay, well, I am too. And I wanted to check to see if you've had a chance to download the samples from RAR Premium yet. RAR Premium is committed to helping you become the peaceful, happy mom you're called to be so that your kids know deep in their bones that you just love homeschooling them and also so that they can become lifelong voracious readers. Get a free sample of RAR premium by going to readaloudrevival.com slash sample or by texting the word RAR sample like it's one word all squished together (laughs) to the number 33777.